The views expressed in this podcast are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect those of MedPEP or Physician Health Services. The advice given to Marie Curious has been individualized and may not apply to the listener. While Marie Curious is a real person describing both real and hypothetical events and situations, she is using a pseudonym for this series. I'd like to welcome our audience back to MedPEP, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program. I'm your host, Dr. Les Schwab. I'm a practicing internist, experienced medical leader, and a trained professional coach. I help healthcare professionals develop strategies and plans for managing workplace complexity in today's stressful and depleting environment. I'm here to serve as the guide of Dr. Marie Curious, an early career primary care internist with a large and demanding practice here in Massachusetts. Marie is determined not only to survive, but to thrive as well at a time when professional burnout is rampant throughout our system. In each MedPEPS episode, I facilitate a conversation between Marie and a visiting expert with knowledge and skills to help her optimize and humanize her practice experience. Today's expert is Jeff Auerbach. Dr. Auerbach is a psychologist who is going to speak to us today about leading with emotional intelligence. And before we begin, I'd just like to welcome Marie back to our conversation. How are you, Marie? Good to see you, Les. Thank you. So let me step back and allow you and Jeff to begin your conversation. Jeff, so nice to have you on the program. Oh, I'm very glad to be with you today, Marie. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do to help a lot of us physicians? Okay, thanks. Yes, as Les introduced me, I'm a psychologist by background. Although about uh, over 20 years ago, I moved from doing clinical practice to coaching leaders, physicians, and physician leaders. And so in that role, I, I train other coaches to do similar work too. I'm also president of College of Executive Coaching, and uh, I've written a number of books on coaching. And I especially work with residency program directors on developing emotional intelligence competencies for the residents and coaching physician leaders who are interested in developing more of a culture that includes a focus on the well-being of their providers. That sounds fantastic and something we could benefit from as well. And you briefly touched upon the phrase emotional intelligence. Can you define that for us and why it's referred to by that name? Absolutely. So emotional intelligence, I think most simply, is knowing yourself and managing yourself and understanding others and managing your relationships with others. And if we can just do that, things tend to go pretty well. Unfortunately, what gets difficult is when we're under enough stress or experiencing a fatigue, it gets hard to be emotionally intelligent to the degree that might be best for the situation at hand. Hmm. It sounds a little bit like emotional intelligence or EI, maybe something like empathy, which we've addressed in a previous MedPEP talk, is something that should be taught from infancy. <laughs> and, and so how is it incorporated now in adulthood and can it actually be taught? 
Well, it absolutely can be developed. And, you know, frankly, when I talk with people often about emotional and social intelligence, lots of times I don't even begin with the term emotional intelligence. Lots of times I just introduce the idea of peak performance Hmm. and who wouldn't want to be a peak performer. But what the research shows is to be a peak performer involves demonstrating the competencies that we now call emotional and social intelligence and empathy like you mentioned is it's one of the areas but that's frankly just one of 15 or so different emotional intelligence factors that are important in one's professional life so can you describe what these core areas are of emotional intelligence Well, there are four core areas of emotional intelligence, knowing yourself and managing yourself, understanding others, and managing your relationships with others. Mm -hmm. Let's explore them in order. The first element is knowing yourself. That's made up of understanding your own emotions and respecting yourself. Second is managing yourself. If you understand your emotions, this helps you to manage yourself well. This self-management is made up of stress tolerance, optimism, and flexibility. Third is understanding others. When you understand others, you're using the emotional intelligence subcomponents of empathy, organizational awareness, and service orientation. If you're using these three elements of EI well, This increases the chances you'll demonstrate that fourth element, which is relationship management. Relationship management includes teamwork, influence, and developing others, all of which are so important for the physician to master, to manage their day-to-day professional, as well as their personal interactions. I guess one question I had for you, Jeff, is that in medical school, we're often trained to take the emotion out of the equation so that we can come to the table to a patient and really distill the medical pieces of information and to make a an unemotional judgment in order to practice medicine well. How does that play into what you're describing, which sounds like having the emotional intelligence helps us to become better physicians? Absolutely take the example in a previous episode where the presenter was talking about an oncologist who's maybe having to talk multiple times today about a very bad diagnosis news that has to be delivered to the patient. The physician can't be taking on those feelings for every single patient encounter that would just way down way too much on them. So absolutely, part of the training is how to compartmentalize Mm -hmm. some of the emotions so they don't burn us out. But on the other hand, the idea of emotional intelligence is that our emotions do influence the quality of our decisions, our behavior, Mm -hmm. and our performance, sometimes for better or sometimes for worse. So what I feel we're trying to do with emotional intelligence is to use these emotional intelligence competencies in a productive or intelligent manner that leads to us actually making better decisions, choosing how to handle an interaction with a patient, for example, in the moment that goes better than maybe a a decision to handle something that might come across as a little more abrupt or insensitive. So our emotional knowledge 
can actually help our interactions. Mm -hmm. Something that comes up, I think, that leads to physician burnout is that toll that you're describing that it takes on a person, no matter how much you compartmentalize or even distance yourself a little bit. At the end of the day, after seeing 10, 15, 20, God forbid, 25 patients, mm-hmm. um, you know, you're just drained. And so that can lead to burnout. How does more self-awareness and managing of oneself and one's relationships with others prevent burnout? You know, I, I think that's really complicated because frankly, when I've given emotional intelligence assessments to physicians, very often physicians are scoring at above average levels of emotional intelligence. We have to somehow manage our use of emotional intelligence in such a way that it's useful for us and our situation. So one of the problems actually, I think with many physicians is they're using their emotional self-awareness and their empathy in such a way that it's actually harming them because they're almost, uh, they have it dialed up too much. Mm. So the concept I'd like to introduce is the idea that all these emotional intelligence competencies of which emotional self-awareness, empathy are, are just two, they're really tools that we have. And sometimes we might almost be overusing that tool. So for example, you may go into medicine as being naturally a very empathetic individual and also perhaps as one who is well in touch with your emotions. So high empathy and high emotional self-awareness. We tend to think, well, being high in various aspects of emotional intelligence is an advantage. And it could be unless we actually are overusing that tool of those emotional intelligence factors for the particular situation. So exactly like you were getting at before, sometimes we have to turn down the dial of our empathy so that we don't get uh, what we might call empathy fatigue or, or compassion fatigue. At other times, we might have to pay good attention to our emotional self-awareness, but use that emotional self-awareness as information that can then affect our behavior and our decision-making, but not maybe overemphasize the feelings we're having of, let's say a physician wakes up in the morning and says, I can't bear it, I can't go to work another day. Well, that's not gonna be helpful if the physician keeps reviewing that thought in their mind. So they might be accurate that they're having that emotion of feeling overwhelmed, maybe even feeling a sense of dread, which is what a lot of physicians who are experiencing burnout would feel when they wake up or maybe the Sunday night before Monday. However, that's not going to be helpful to concentrate on that thought. So I think a useful idea is dialing back the use of our emotional awareness when it's going to be helpful to us and dialing up another factor of emotional intelligence, let's say impulse control, when that would be useful to us. So Jeff, on that very example, yesterday it did cross my mind, boy, I really don't wanna go into clinic tomorrow, today Mm -hmm. being Monday. And Mm -hmm. um, I, I recognize that emotion and you know what? I still went, I went early, still went through the day, did my work, 
But mm -hmm. how do I sustain that for the long term in terms of n just not focusing on it? I don't think that's a solution, to be honest. Mm -hmm. yeah, I do think it's about uh, this idea of dialing in these emotional intelligence factors just right. So, for example, what allowed you to go in and do your job so well, probably high achievement drive, a certain kind of resilience, a certain kind of loyalty, dedication, independence, that it's up to you to go in and do the job. No one's going to do it for you. Social responsibility. These are all protective elements of emotional intelligence that were brought to bear, that balanced out that feeling of, oh, I can't do it or I don't want to do it. So the good news is we have multiple elements of emotional intelligence, and they're all tools in our toolkit that we can use. I don't think there's an easy solution. We wouldn't have burnout rates of 50% or more if uh, there was any easy path here. But I, I do think it's good self-management skills and good self-care skills that are helpful. And I also think it's this idea of recognizing you have all these tools in your toolkit and which ones should you be deploying today in this moment that are going to help you the most? I have a question, Jeff. So in the moment, you advocated that Marie use things that were self-affirming to bring herself to the strenuous task of showing up at clinic today. And she probably did call on them in her way. You know, her, her competence, her dedication to her patients, her social responsibility, and all those wonderful things that she possesses and you enumerated. The question is, that's a offset in the moment to, to resort that. Is there a way to call on those same kinds of reframing of one's role as an ongoing way of supporting one? I think so. I think it's a, a daily practice. So I'm thinking about how this plays out in examples. I know from working with a couple of physicians in an organizational situation right in the clinic, one physician was really practicing her self-management skills and trying to develop them as a habitual way of dealing with stress in the office. And in this particular situation, the medical director had visited the clinic and two physicians met with the medical director. It was during lunchtime, patients weren't there, although of course the physicians were not eating any lunch, were at their desks working frantically on their medical records. And the medical director walked in, one physician grabbed the other physician and said, let's go talk to him. Um, because in this situation, they were down two MAs for the day and their frustration level was extremely high. And in this case, they, you know, one physician went in and literally just exploded at the medical director. So this is an example of a lack of impulse control in the moment, said things later that he regretted to the medical director. The other physician who had actively been thinking about these EI competencies as tools was really experiencing the same feelings or very similar feelings of frustration, uh, exhaustion, just throwing their hands up. How can I do my job in an excellent manner when I, we have half the medical assistance we're supposed to have today? And that other physician practiced more impulse control, uh, practiced 
uh, emotional self-awareness to recognize, you know, I'm on the verge of saying something not appropriate, but I'm going to use my assertiveness skills, use my interpersonal relationship skills to recognize, um, you know, what's more helpful to say and not in the moment. So from my point of view in the, the long-term trajectory of a physician working in a, in a very difficult and frankly rather broken system, it's going to be the daily practice of the tools they've got and uh, not succumbing to uh, the, the being overwhelmed by their emotions in a way where their emotional expression is proven later to be unhelpful for the outcome they're looking for. Well, that makes every bit of sense that one one does need sustenance in terms of one's emotional intelligence and to do that by practicing some degree of self-regulation and self-awareness on a consistent basis. That makes sense because the challenge is ever renewed to maintain a, a good presence in our practices. That's right. And Jeff, that's something I've been thinking more about as the de facto leaders of our little pod or interacting with other colleagues or medical assistants, how do we promote emotional intelligence in our own small spheres? Well, I think that the physician, if you're in a clinic setting, the physician by the kind of the experience level, their authority in the clinic, in a way they're often seen as the leader, even though a lot of times the physician might not feel they're the leader. In a lot of settings I work with, it's the, the physician might feel, frankly, like a, a low-level worker. I hear the expression, a, a peon in the system. <laughs> and the front office staff don't necessarily work for them anymore. They don't have any authority over them. So there's this frustration, this feeling of a disempowerment amongst the physicians. And yet the patient comes in and feels that the physician should be in charge. And if the patient's late being seen, they tend to blame the physician. You know, why are you making me wait so long? Whereas the physician often feels it's the system isn't getting people roomed, you know, on time, that kind of thing. So I think that the, uh, the difficulty is the physician to try to have some positive impact on a system where they don't really have authority uh, over the other people in their clinic uh, often anymore. And part of the solution is this idea of emotional contagion that our, our moods are contagious. So this is where I think a physician can make a difference even when they don't have authority over the other coworkers, let's say the, the front office staff, the clinic coordinator, the medical assistants, the nurses, the patient often thinks the physician is in charge. And the patient will often blame the physician, for example, or be angry at the physician if the physician is running 45 minutes or an hour late. Whereas, of course, the physician feels like I'm trying my hardest to be on time. It's the clinic isn't running properly. They're not getting the patient's room properly. So what I think can make a difference here is this idea of emotional contagion. The way the physician expresses themselves in the office, the, the tone that the physician uses with the staff when talking to other physicians, if the physician is doing a lot of complaining, sarcastic jokes, that does create a certain mood in the office that uh, brings everyone down, that brings everyone's 
happiness down. I know that often people use that sarcastic humor as a way of kind of blowing off steam, of venting, but there's a lot of research that shows the leader's mood is contagious. And so if the physician can practice demonstrating a positive attitude, a, a, a kind of more empathetic understanding about, you know, we're all in this together, uh, that can help the other staff feel a little more comfortable. And so that's one thing that I, I feel makes a difference, this idea of, of the leader's mood is contagious. So for the physician keeping that in mind, that's a way they can exert some positive influence on a, the culture where they may not have authority anymore. And Jeff, I think that is something I actually aim to do on a daily basis to be the positive force in, in our mm -hmm. little pod or area with my medical assistant, the nurse practitioner. But at some point, it feels like a front. I, I genuinely want them to feel supported and positive, but I myself feel so depleted that I'm not sure how long I can keep this up. Yeah, and I think that's the reality of the situation for so many providers. Again, no easy solutions, of course. It's, it, I think, also comes down to this idea of what can we do as individuals. Certainly, we could talk later about what the leaders can do, where I think a lot of the responsibility lies, and that the leaders need to do things differently to make better work conditions for the providers. But I, I do think that the individual provider has to use these elements of their emotional intelligence, including their emotional self-awareness, to practice self-care. And we all know, and uh, you probably know from your own experience and colleagues around you, this idea of not taking any breaks throughout the day or not having any time to go to the bathroom or eating lunch. We know this is the, the predominant way physicians are practicing. Yet um, some physicians are somehow using enough of another emotional intelligence competency, which would be their maybe channeling their achievement drive into their self-discipline in forcing themselves to take a five or 10 minute break. Other people say that's impossible. I don't have the, the time for that. <laughs> I totally understand that feeling. But I do think that physicians do need to challenge themselves to really look at what can I do in my uh, daily practice um, to take care of myself. I do have to take some steps myself to, for my own self-care. I, I know I'm thinking about being a good wife or husband when I get home, being a good parent when I get home to my kids. So this idea of using our emotional self-knowledge to confront ourselves with the reality that I have to not only try as hard as I can to get my work done by a certain time so I can go home, but I also have to somehow fit in a little more self-care. Jeff, I'd like to ask you a little bit in the time we have remaining, yet you've emphasized that your mission is also to help leaders create a climate of emotional intelligence in the healthcare environments they lead. So I wondered if you might just quickly walk through some of the key things you think leaders need to understand about providing emotional intelligence as a feature of their culture of their organizations. And, if you, and then if you've seen any particularly adept examples of it working. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in my experience working, frankly, with 
uh, um, certain leaders, let's say hospital leaders. And this is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the idea of working with uh, leaders in the healthcare system, because typically if I'm working with the CEO of a hospital, frankly, their concerns are about building a new building or getting a hundred more beds or getting another provider group in and provide pediatric care. I have hardly ever heard a CEO of a hospital or healthcare system say, you know, one of my top concerns is the well-being of my providers. <laughs> and, and, and it's just shocking when you consider 50% of the providers are burned out of the point where they might be considering leaving early and then the healthcare systems are going to great lengths to try to recruit new people uh, at great expense to come to their facilities. So it seems to me astonishing that there isn't more focus amongst healthcare leaders on the need to put more care into the attention of the well-being of the providers. And of course, in some systems that's delegated to one person, maybe it's a chief nursing officer, frankly, who's in charge of that. So what I experienced is that there are some leaders of healthcare organizations who have a personal interest in well-being for themselves. Because of course, they may be burnt out too. It's very common, frankly, when I've worked with leaders of big healthcare systems, they also are working 12, 14 hour days. They also are getting up at 4.30 or 5 in the morning. So in my experience, there are healthcare leaders who are facing their own burnout issues, although that isn't really the focus of our, our call today. And so when I can find those leaders who understand the importance of well-being and burnout in their own role as an executive, and then translate that into a concern about effectiveness of their organizations, I find there are some healthcare leaders that are developing more interest in setting up a system that's better for their providers too. So what I experience is there's some healthcare organizations where they're, they're setting up systems where let's say in primary care, they do have health and wellness coaches down the hall from the primary care physician. And the primary care physician can walk someone over and introduce them to the, the health coach. And in this way, the primary care physician doesn't have quite so much burden to maybe spend as much time trying to get so much done in their visit when frankly, it would be better if it was a behavioral health care person that was addressing some of the patient's concerns. So I do think that we need to provide more outreach and more leadership to healthcare leaders about this concept that the leaders moved from the top is contagious and that the engagement level of their physicians and other providers has dramatically suffered. There are things they can do from the top of the organization in terms of setting up the management of, of direct care in such a way that people are happier. And getting back to the topic we began with earlier, when I was saying that most physicians, I think, have above average emotional intelligence, that's true. But when I ask most physicians questions like, do you look forward to your workday? Or are you feeling overall happy? They don't score high on those scales. So if we look at an independent measure of happiness, very often physicians are scoring low, even though their overall emotional intelligence is relatively high. So 
I think that really confronting the leaders who have decision-making power in healthcare organizations, that uh, this is an epidemic of burnout that is affecting their reimbursement, their patient satisfaction, because physicians are unhappy and uh, stressed. And even though their best efforts are to give outstanding patient care and greet each patient with as much empathy and uh, uh, good care as possible, it does wear on them and the patients are complaining and that probably is hurting their business model. So I hear you saying that basically all of us, leaders and line workers alike, have the same kind of emotional intelligence needs, that peak performance, whether it's operating a large system or simply getting through a day of patients, do so better when emotional intelligence is applied. And by implication, the leader needs to apply to a system so that the whole system performs better as well. Absolutely. Uh, and, and there are some encouraging examples that you mentioned. One, and in our other broadcast, we've also heard about uh, examples where environments can be structured to be more supportive. I know that, Marie, you've been concerned about the dialogue with leadership whom you have felt in your organization has been difficult to hear the message of physician distress. And I wondered whether listening to Jeff today, you have any further thoughts about what that dialogue with a leader might look like. Jeff, I appreciate all the things you've mentioned. And to be fair, I think some of the leaders in my personal organization have tried to be more, or appear to be more accessible and to try to get the viewpoint of the cogs in the wheel, which is us frontline PCPs. But in all honesty, sometimes it comes off as a little disingenuous. We get emails saying, thank you for all of your hard work. But in the same hand, I come back to a desk saying, I'm not meeting productivity numbers. I need to make more encounters. I need to correct my billing. And so it, it doesn't feel like those really align. Absolutely. And, and what you're describing, obviously, you're not alone. Uh, so this is completely widespread. I think two things about it. One is, of course, the individual physician really making some of their own decisions about what they can do or, or are willing to do. And of course, some physicians make decisions, you know, instead of working five days a week, four days a week is going to be better for me and my family. So that's obviously one type of decision some physicians make. But then when it comes to the physician interacting with their leadership, I think the model of really learning what are the 15 different areas of emotional intelligence, viewing these areas of emotional intelligence as tools that not only do I have my, my empathy that I have to show to patients, even if I'm not really feeling it, even if it's putting on a bit of an act sometimes, that we also have to use our assertiveness skills, another emotional intelligence skill, the right way at the right time. We have to balance our assertiveness with our emotional expression skill. This is where I think the real world of the physician who's trying to have a conversation with someone in leadership about their situation, I think it's gonna come down to their the interpersonal interaction with that other leader they're talking about. And then it's the physician going, okay, 
I need to use my assertiveness now. I need to use my emotional expression now, but I need to use it at just the right intensity. I'm going to need to pick my battles, of course. I'm going to need to use my impulse control. So I really think it's a menu of EI and social intelligence tools that the physician uses to try to manage those those difficult, challenging conversations with leadership. Well, thank you very much, Jeff, for that summation. We've learned a lot today about that full complement of emotional intelligence tools, that it is a toolkit that can be deployed in the service of our patient interactions, our collegial interactions, as well as with interactions with our organizational leadership. And that requires a certain amount of strategy about how and when to display and utilize the particular tool. You've also brought to our attention the concept of emotional contagion, that physicians are the de facto visible leaders in much of their everyday environment and to pay attention to the emotional signals that are being generated by them to the people they work with. So that's an important self-regulatory concept that you've given us. So I thank you very much for this really stimulating discussion of navigating the reality of the emotional world of medical practice. And to our listening audience, I'd like to also thank you for joining us in this session of MedPEP. I look forward to the next session of MedPEP when our guest will be Dr. Danielle O'Free, who will be speaking to us about what patients say and what doctors hear. Thank you so much, Jeff. Thank you, Les. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. If you have a question or a comment about today's program, email us at feedback at medpep.org or simply visit us at medpep.org. And now, here's a few words from MedPep's founder, Steve Edelman. This is Dr. Steve Edelman, creator of MedPEP, the Medical Professionals Empowerment Program, and director of PHS, Physician Health Services, a charitable subsidiary of the Massachusetts Medical Society. Our mission is to promote the well-being of health professionals. Many thanks to our seeker, Dr. Marie Curious, to our guide, Dr. Les Schwab, and to our wonderful group of guest experts. Hats off to project leader, Dr. J. Dev Dasgupta, audio producer Douglas Stevens, guitardiologist Dr. Susie Brown, and to the staff and board of PHS. Please visit and connect with us at medpep.org for CME info, faculty bios, and additional empowerment resources.